The Trumpet Daily Program begins right now. Today's world news, what it means, where it's taking us. I bring you the one and only possible message of world peace. This is a message of hope, tremendous hope. And he said unto me, you must prophesy again. The Trumpet Daily Program begins right now. Ladies and gentlemen, the President of the United... The Vice President of the... <laughs> I am Kamala Harris. My pronouns are she and her. I am a woman sitting at the table wearing a blue suit. To specifically accept more refugees. Okay. <laughs> Space is exciting. Talking about the significance of the passage of time, right? The significance of the passage of time. So when you think about it, there is great significance to the passage of time in terms of what we need to do. It is time for us to do what we have been doing, and that time is every day. Ukraine is a country in Europe. It exists next to another country called Russia. Russia is a bigger country. Russia is a powerful country. Russia decided to invade a smaller country called Ukraine. So basically, that's wrong. Because as we all know, elections matter. And when folks vote, they order what they want. And in this case, they got what they asked for. One doesn't have to be brilliant to attempt a coup. Uh, I disagree with that. As somebody who has helped plan coup d'etat, yeah. not here, but, you know, other places. I wore my mask the entire game. And I, when people ask for a photograph, I hold my breath and I put it here and people could see that. There's a 0% chance of infection from that. It's nice that some people, you know, idolize me and put me up on a pedestal, but I don't get impressed by that. I never have. Uh, so listen, I just, I'm just trying to get that you said you want to talk about climate change, but what, what effect does climate change have on this phenomenon? I don't think you can link climate change to any one event. Okay. To link it to any one event, um, I, I would caution against that. Okay. Well, they, listen, I grew up there and these storms are intensifying. We believe climate change is an existential threat. So, you know, children won't Forget about clothes on their back. They're not going to be able to have a life if we don't deal with climate change. So I'm going to throw this immediately out to the audience and say, how many of you are driving an electric vehicle at the moment? One, two, three, four. So I would say that probably constitutes less than 5% of the person's uh, sitting here in this room. The RAF has halted flights in and out of RAF Bryce Norton because the runway has melted. So my advice to everyone out there who's frustrated, sad, angry, feel those emotions, go to a kickboxing class, have a margarita, do whatever you need to do this weekend. Hold on one second. We have a process here. I will not call on you if you yell. I th I'm done. I'm not going. I'm not getting into a back and forth with you. Go ahead, Jeremy. It is not. It is not your turn. It is not your turn. I hear the question. I I hear your question, but we're not doing this the way you want it. I'm done with you right now. You tweeted in 2016. Oh, Trump stole an election. I was waiting, Peter, when you were going to ask me that question. Let's let's be really clear that. That comparison that you made is just ridiculous. We are in a historic uh, uh, place in history. Uh, when you are not with where majority of Americans are, then 
you know, that is extreme. That is an extreme way of thinking. Isn't it almost Orwellian? How can you call it Inflation Reduction no. Act when the nonpartisan experts say it's not going to... So I appreciate that. Out? I appreciate the question. Looking backward, it is the ultimate irony, uh, you know, uh, that the 2020 election was was uh, was proven by the Trump administration's homeland. Oh, sorry. I think I got ahead of myself there. <laughs> We take the law very seriously here. These January 6th hearings are remarkable. They are riveting. The hearings last night, they were searing, they were vivid. It was compelling, it was chilling. The videos were chilling, and it was, it, I think it's going to be historic. There's never been a bigger or more important story in American history than this. Later that day, Senator Hawley fled. After those protesters, he helped to rile up, stormed the Capitol. See for yourself. Think about what we've seen. I was extremely disturbed seeing that vision, that image that we just saw again of Josh Hawley. The most important story in the history of the Republic. And from the more stomach-turning, riveting, compelling, one senator told me that he had a lump in his throat as he was watching the video. This is the most important and disturbing uh, incident that's ever happened in the 246 years of the American Constitutional Republic. The president reached up towards the front of the vehicle to grab at the steering wheel. Mr. Engel grabbed his arm. Mr. Trump then used his free hand to lunge towards Bobby Engel. And Mr. when Mr. Renato had recounted this story to me, he had motioned towards his clavicles. Jaw-dropping. It's devastating testimony. 100% credible. That we are in debt to Cassidy Hutchinson. She was a great witness. She was absolutely precise. She connected the dots more than anybody has. This is an historic day. Our descendants are going to ask us what we know about Cassidy Hutchinson. How about that phony story? I'm sitting in the back of the beast. I wasn't sure if I should be honored because I felt very strong. And these two big, strong Secret Service guys. I said, take me to the Capitol. No, sir, can't do it. So I grabbed the steering wheel. The commandant. And he rebuffed me, she said. He rebuffed. So my hands fell around another powerful guy. And I started to choke him. I felt, you know, when, so when the story came out, some people said, I never knew you were that strong physically. Tell the speaker how much we admire her. And I'm going to be proud to be standing with a president that is 100% sedition-free. Is this unprecedented to arrest a former president for not well, turning in documents? Well, I a former president that had committed this many provable criminal acts. But what are the provable criminal acts, I guess? <sighs> provable criminal acts. Well, I'm just, I, I, I'm done talking. We're going to be shutting these plants down all across America. It was, uh, it was loud and, and hard uh, to hear, I think, or maybe not. But I spoke to, to this over the weekend. The president's words, we believe, were twisted. We're going to be shutting these plants down all across America. Uh, Dr. Biden is for it. Mr. President. Oh, I could get a disease tomorrow. I could, you know, drop dead tomorrow. But I think the best way to make the judgment is to, uh, to you know, watch me. I can't even say the age I'm going to be.
I can't even get it out of my mouth. That's why I and so damn many other people I grew up have cancer. We haven't been able to communicate it in a way that is, uh, um, make me say another way. By the way, Megan Hayes, the administration's director of message planning, there she is, there's the reveal. With POTUS and FLOTUS, there is the giant bunny that saved President Biden's bacon. Let me start off with two words, made in America. And wish everyone a happy, healthy, and safe New Year. Happy holidays. Merry Christmas. Happy Schwanza. America is a nation that can be defined in a single word. I was going to put him in a uh, foot, foot. Never ending tales from the upside down world. Some, uh, some minutes of levity there for uh, the Trumpet Daily, the faithful Trumpet Daily audience. And of course, that's to. To, tomorrow will be quite a bit, quite a bit more serious, but that's to whet your appetite for the uh, the mega montage that we play at the end of the calendar year. That you'll get a full <coughs> summary of the the year's events, just with some of the footage and uh, clips that the the guys have collected. You're listening to Stephen Flurry. This is the Trumpet Daily. We appreciate you joining us. On this Thursday morning or afternoon or evening, depending upon when you listen to the show, uh, we have one more show left in this calendar year. That's tomorrow, as I say, the Mega Montage, montage Day, so you can look forward to that. And speaking of a, a, an end-of-the-year review, Joel Hilliker at the Trumpet Hour uh, yesterday, he took you through the top 20 stories or developments from this past year. Uh, many of them we've discussed before on this program, but he had his crew comb through the headlines from the past 12 months and put together the top 20. I think it's already uh, <coughs> produced in, in article format as well. So I'll just refer you to the Trumpet Hour and our website, thetrumpet.com. Of course, thetrumpet.com is also where you can uh, get to this live stream show. Just go to thetrumpet.com forward slash live and you can watch every weekday morning at 11 a.m. here in the central time zone of the United States. So it really is becoming so, ob well, it's not becoming, it's so obvious, the war between fantasy, you saw a lot of it in that opening montage, fantasy and reality. Think about this headline from Time Magazine. It says, the white supremacist origins of exercise and six other surprising facts about the history of U.S. physical fitness. The white supremacist origins of exercise, that's not The Onion, that's not The Babylon Bee, that's Time Magazine. Hey, Sam, you've got to check if Dr. Uh, Hotez, the junk food, it would be perfect if Dr. Hotez wrote that article. He specializes in junk food, he's all about vaccines, and uh, he's certainly not racist because he probably doesn't exercise as well. I mean, the craziness of all of it, and speaking of, Dr. Hotez, he's on, he's on with the talking heads again, pleading for more vaccinations. And in this one, I mean, he, uh, the talking head actually says that he had a hand in creating this, this drug. This is clip three. As I understand it, today marks a year since the vaccine technology that you helped develop received uh, the emergency authorization it needed to help care for those uh, in India right now. So we appreciate your service 
um, to the global health community on that issue. Yeah, our Texas Children's Hospital vaccine technology has now reached almost 100 million people in uh, India and Indonesia, so that's really exciting news. Here's the concern. Uh, the the anti-vaccine uh, activism and movement that accelerated during this time of the uh, COVID pandemic when so many Americans needlessly lost their lives because they refused to take a COVID vaccine because they were victims of anti-vaccine uh, aggression spread on some of the conservative news outlets and even from some elected leaders. Now that's spilling over into all vaccinations. So he had a hand, this was news to me, he had a hand in developing the technology. Have you ever noticed that all the people that have a vested interest in these drugs that they're screaming for everyone to take, they're making money off of it, they created it or helped to create it, they're, as it happens, the biggest proponents. I mean, you wouldn't expect it any other way. They made it. This is the miracle drug. Just take it and shut up. And uh, in his mind, not enough people are taking it. I forget the, uh, the article. It's on Fauci's wealth. This is from uh, the New York Post in September. Dr. Anthony Fauci and his wife's net worth grew by $5 million during the COVID-19 pandemic as thousands of U.S. residents struggled financially, according to a government spending watchdog group. We're only talking about a couple years' time. His net worth grows by $5 million. I wonder how much Dr. Junk Foodaholic's net worth grew if he had a hand in making this. And then you know all about the Pfizer and Moderna, the big, the big company, big pharma, and the skyrocketing prices for their shares. And they're so happy. Oh, yeah, we moved into India. Millions and millions of people getting their jab. The same guy who says, proudly, I'm a junk foodaholic. As I say, reality, fantasy, which side are you on? Elon Musk, he's been tweeting out. <laughs> this was yesterday, I believe. Almost no one seems to realize that the head of the uh, bioethics at the NIH, the person who is supposed to make sure that Fauci behaves ethically, is his wife. His wife works over at the NIH. She goes by her, her maiden name, I guess, so maybe some people don't make the connection. In any event, I mean, you can see there, she's the senior investigator. I mean, she's, she's working to make, sh to make sure everything's above board, to make sure her dear husband, Anthony Fauci, is, uh, is doing everything in the, in the best interest of ordinary Americans. Can't make this up. His daughter... This is, uh, well, let me just read a little bit more from, uh, from this article about his wife. It says, Dr. Grady, that's his wife, is a, a nurse bioethicist and a senior investigator who currently serves as the chief of the Department of Bioethics. So she's, it's kind of like all of those, those internal reviews that you get at the, uh, the FBI or the DOJ. Whenever they investigate themselves, they come out squeaky clean. I mean, they've done everything just by the book. And then everybody just nods in agreement. Okay, every, that, that must be the way it is. He must be as pure as the driven snow. It says here from the NIH website, they study on the, the, the Department of Bioethics, they study ethical issues related to biomedical research, clinical practice, genetics, 
biotechnology, public health, health policy, population health, and health disparities. That's the good doctor's uh, wife. His, his daughter, Tony Fauci's daughter, this is from Breitbart, uh, works for leftist organization helping groups push vaccines. So she's out there. And the mom, presumably, and obviously Tony, Dr. Junk Food. I mean, they're all out there. It's all they know is drugs. And as it happens, they're making millions and millions of dollars in the process, even as ordinary Americans have suffered and in some cases lost their, their businesses during the pandemic, during the lockdowns. It says here, one of Dr. Fauci's daughters, Allison Fauci, is listed as a software engineer for a leftist organization that in part helps groups push coronavirus jabs on the American public. Further on, it says, previously she worked on Twitter's Android application for several years. It's just perfect. They work for big tech. They work for these social media giants. They work for these leftist organizations. They push vaccines. They're pro-lockdown, all these things. And it's, it's now being exposed. Elon Musk said, gain of function, this is another one of his tweets yesterday, gain of function in this context is just another way of saying bioweapon. It says, some good nuggets in article. Uh, well, he's referring to an article in this tweet. It says, important to note that Fauci authored 2012 paper arguing for gain of function research. Obama wisely put this on pause, but Fauci restarted it. He, he needs to add there that Fauci restarted it in the last days of Barack Obama. So it was Obama and Fauci that unleashed this gain-of-function research right at the end of Obama's second term so that they could develop these bioweapons and use it to attack Donald Trump, Trump among other things, to, to consolidate power, to gain more power, but, uh, but of course to get rid of the guy who exposed the swamp. Listen to Dr. Fauci responding to some of the attacks, as he sees them, coming from Elon Musk in, uh, in particular, clip six. Here you are, after this storied career, about to step down from this position as you go on to new adventures, and Elon Musk tweets out, his pronouns are prosecute Fauci, so he's describing you as a criminal. Yeah. Who you should be prosecuted. And how do you feel when someone with that big a megaphone yeah. labels you a criminal? Well, to be honest with you, Andrea, I don't, I don't pay attention to that. I mean, yeah, he has a big megaphone, but I mean, the, the, the Twitter sphere as it is has really gone berserk lately. It's got to become almost a cesspool of misinformation because they're letting other doctors finally speak, doctors that might disagree with him. There was a Senate uh, hearing put on by Ron Johnson of Wisconsin. I think this goes back to, uh, I don't see the date here, but it's from a month or two ago. And they're hearing from this guy called Edward Dowd. It's a forum that, uh, again, was before Ron Johnson, December 7th. So this goes back three weeks or so. Listen to what this, uh, this Edward Dowd had to say during that hearing, clip seven. The bottom line is we saw 2020 pre-vaccine and 2021 and 22 post-vaccine. There was a mixed shift from 2020 to 21 of excess mortality from old to young. So in 2020, it was mostly old people. 
We also saw um, a mixed shift in uh, disability starting to rise in May of 21. Um, the excess mortality has shifted so much so that it's, uh, it's pretty phenomenal what you see here in the charts before you. This is not my data, this is a society of actuaries. In 2021, in ages 25 through 64, the employed people of our nation covered under group life, they experienced a 40% excess mortality. As quoted by a CEO of an insurance company, just a 10% increase in excess mortality is a three standard deviation event or a once in a 200 year flood. So 40 is off the charts. Um, what's interesting about this is that the general overall population experienced 32% excess mortality. This group life uh, policyholder subset is much healthier in general than the overall population as done by st previous studies. They experienced mortality 30 to 40% that of the general population. So something flipped in 2021 by eight points. Go on to the next slide, please. Um, for disability, uh, this is the next data set is the US uh, Bureau, uh, the US Department of Bureau of Labor Statistics. It's pretty simple here. Uh, we saw disability take off in May of 2021 above averages. Uh, on Wall Street, we follow uh, statistical deviations. There was this three sigma event, three standard deviation, rate of change year over year. And what we found particularly interesting was that the employed uh, of our country experienced a 26% increase in the rate of disability versus the general population, which experienced 11%. To put some numbers on this, uh, one, uh, we're being very conservative on our start date. The number is probably much higher, but 1.2 million additional Americans in the employed segment of our population uh, left the workforce or got didn't leave the work, they got disabled. That is the size of the state of Wyoming and Vermont combined that disappeared from the labor force. So if you're seeing labor shortages all around the country, this might be one of the explanations. So this is a guy who works uh, at Wall Street, and uh, he's an economist, or he used to, I think, manage a, a, a portfolio. So, but he's 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 just looking at the numbers. We we read that story to you earlier this week about all the the insurance payouts and the, the excess mortality, and and then as he brought out, even just the injuries and workers are disappearing. He says that in 2020, right? That's the pandemic year, or at least the peak of it. The excess mortality, they were old people, old people that were dying of COVID. And of course, there were all the comorbidity stories as well. But we'll leave that aside for a moment. As he says, you go into 2021 and 2022, and we're seeing excess mortality among young people and middle-aged people, the working class, the, the workforce of the United States. And of course, what changed going into 2021? Well, you have guys like Dr. Junk Food and Fauci calling for everyone to get vaccinated, to take this drug that had never really even been tested. These, these people live in a fantasy world. It's a world of will worship, where if they say it, it must be right. It must be truth. And then Fauci himself <laughs> talks about, I played it yesterday. Well, you saw it in the montage. Yeah, I know, I know a lot of people idolize me, put me up on a pedestal. He does that to himself. Three-portrait Fauci, 
Three portraits of himself in his own office. Who does that? Well, the good doctor, because he knows. He knows. Listen again to Edward Dowd from that hearing three weeks ago, clip eight. My conclusion and our conclusion at Finance Technologies is that the only thing that changed to detrimentally affect the employed versus the much less healthy pop, uh, general population is vaccines and mandates. Um, we're open to discussions to see what could be the possible causes. But what I find interesting and curious is this excess mortality continues, the disabilities continue, and our health authorities have no interest in uh, trying to figure out what's going on. This should be a national story in my mind. And then to, to end, uh, Denmark and the UK have already stopped their vaccination program. Uh, uh, Denmark under 50, uh, they've now said no vaccines for anyone that'd rather you get COVID. The Denmark data, if you look at that, that was a disaster and excess mortality. So they saw something clearly that our US health authorities should be seeing as well. The UK's uh, stopped the vaccination for under 12. So my question, Senator, is why are our health authorities still pushing this vaccine if other countries are backing off? Well, it's because of will worship, as I say. My father addresses that in America Under Attack. You can get a free copy of the book. Call the 800 number, 1-866-930-3024. In AUA, it says, there's a definite reason why masses of people have done and are doing insane things. Like he says there, the health authorities, they won't even look at this. All of these statistical deviations, they won't even consider it. They won't connect the dots. There's no correlation. It's just in the case of the one doctor, junk food's fine. Get your drugs. Junk food drugs. It says here, it stems from people trusting their own will, relying on and exalting their emotions, urges, and even reasonings rather than submitting to God's will. And then he gets into Colossians 2 and and uh, Ephesians 2, the prince of the power of the air, the devil, of course, is behind all of this deranged thinking. Fantasy versus reality. You may have seen the story earlier this week, this, uh, this victim of the FBI's plot. The FBI framed this guy, the plot to kidnap uh, Gretchen Whitmer. It was a failed attempt, by the way, and he gets 16 years in prison, if you can believe it, 16 years, now, even if it was an actual kidnapping attempt by this guy, 16 years for it, for one that failed? He didn't even get Whitmer. He didn't hold her captive. Not, none of that happened. But there was the plot, and what was it? Something like 10 or 12 FBI informants that were in the group urging these guys to carry out this kidnapping says Adam Fox, this is the Wall Street Journal, one of the men convicted in the plot to kidnap Michigan Governor Gretchen Whitmer was sentenced Tuesday by a federal judge to 16 years in prison. Mr. Fox was described by prosecutors, these are government, government prosecutors, as the ringleader of the 2020 plot to kidnap Whitmer, a Democrat, a scheme that was foiled by the FBI before any harm could come to the governor. U.S. District Judge Robert Jonker said Mr. Fox was the ringleader of the plan, though he wasn't a natural leader. I mean, you just read this. Even This is the Wall Street Journal. You know, this is Rupert Murdoch. And you read this, and you would, you would have no idea 
that the FBI was the mastermind behind this kidnapping attempt. The FBI was coordinating this. The FBI was inciting this, just like they did January 6th. It says here, Judge Jonker said the scheme had little chance of being carried out because law enforcement acted early. So here come the fantasists to say, yeah, thanks to the FBI, thanks to law enforcement. Julie Kelly, she writes at American Greatness, she says, despite extensive evidence, Jonker dismissed accusations the plot was an FBI entrapment operation. This is what law enforcement is supposed to do, Jonker said Tuesday before announcing Fox's sentence. And it quotes the judge, I don't see anything on the entrapment front. In my mind, law enforcement deserves a pat on the back. Yeah, the FBI, they deserve to be, they should be commended for their work. He claimed the FBI informants pulled the plug early and commanded the agency for its careful monitoring from beginning to end. None of that's true. And yet here is this judge. Hopefully Fox will get a better outcome with the appeals process. But here's a judge just going right along with the fantasy that the FBI, they really weren't, they weren't trying to entrap these Trump supporters, these right-wingers. They were just trying to help. They were trying to help prevent crime. How many informants were in that little kidnapping plot? Here again, so much fantasy, so much propaganda. Two Cambridge history professors, they've put together this report uh, showing how historians in the UK, historians uh, working for the BBC, are rewriting history to make it more woke, as they say. The BBC is rewriting British history to promote a woke agenda, a group of of the country's leading academics has warned as they cited multiple examples of bias in their documentaries. The BBC, I know this isn't surprising, but here again, you see it, it, it comes from every single direction. You had the one BBC reporter that was just shocked to learn that there were FBI informants in the January 6th protest. I played that clip for you a, a week or so ago. They're just clueless. I mean, this is the, the top news agency in the, the, the United Kingdom. And they're just blind in so many ways. They're blind to the truth. And they're just out pushing an agenda. Just like these doctors pushing drugs. They won't even look at any statistical anomalies. It's the same with the election fraud. Whether it's this year or two years ago. There's a story, an interesting, actually, a, an, inter an interesting exchange between Joe Rogan and um, you saw that energy trans, uh, transition panel at the World Economic Forum, the lady there in the montage that asked if anyone had an electric car. She counted four in the whole gathering. They're there to talk about what, climate change? They're there to save the earth. And, and they're just a bunch of hypocrites. They're not practicing what they preach. In any event, with respect to electric vehicles, and really anything that's battery-powered. Listen to this exchange. This is a guy who sat down with Joe Rogan. His name is uh, Siddharth Kara, and uh, he wrote a book recently on these cobalt mines in uh, the heart, I think it's the Congo, the heart of Africa. Listen to him as he goes back and forth with Joe Rogan. This is clip five. 
throughout the whole history of slavery, I mean, I'm going back centuries, never, never in human history has there been more suffering that generated more profit and was linked to the lives of more people around the world ever, ever in history than what's happening in the Congo right now. The cobalt that's being mined in the Congo is in every single lithium-ion rechargeable battery manufactured in the world today. Every smartphone, every tablet, every uh, uh, laptop, and crucially, every electric vehicle. You and I, we can't function on a day-to-day -day basis without cobalt, and three-fourths of the supply is coming out of the Congo. And it just so happens that the Congo, just as it was sitting on more than half the world's reserves of coltan and, of course, a lot of gold and diamonds and other things, is sitting on more cobalt than the rest of the planet combined. Before anybody knew what was happening, Chinese government, Chinese mining companies took control of almost all the big mines, um, and the local population has been displaced, uh, is under duress, and they dig in absolutely subhuman, gut-wrenching conditions for a dollar a day, feeding cobalt up the supply chain into all the phones, all the tablets, and especially electric cars. This is the bottom of the supply chain of your iPhone, of your Tesla, of your Samsung. I mean, I'm just naming those companies. Right. Uh, it's all of them, right? All of them. We're not just picking on them. And here's what you need to know, Joe, about this video. I, I was the first outsider to get into this mine. Uh, and that's why it's just a really short video that I, I was able to take. This is an industrial cobalt mine where there's not supposed to be one artisanal miner. Now, that's the term used for people who are just digging by hand as opposed to tractors and excavators. There's not supposed to be one here. That's what the story is told at the top of the chain. This mine, and I can name it, it's called Shabara. There's not supposed to be one artisanal miner here, according to the consumer-facing tech companies and EV companies buying this cobalt. Lo and behold, I walk into this place, and this is what I see. There's more than 15,000 human beings crammed into that pit, digging by hand. Are there any industrialized cobalt mines that use machinery and don't use slavery and don't use child labor and don't use these people that live in unimaginable poverty? I've never seen one. And I've been to almost all the major industrial cobalt mines. And of course, all the green energy people, all of the, the, the production crews over here in the West, they will tell you, they will lie to your face and say, hey, everything in the Congo, it's, it's just, it's fine. Uh, there's industry is, is booming over there. In fact, it's a slave labor camp. Thousands upon thousands of people, because the warlords are in charge. They're running so many of these nations in Africa. And then you put it together with what I just read to you from uh, these historians in the UK saying that the BBC, they're just trying to rewrite history. It says here, a report said that said the BBC was failing in its duty of impartiality by allowing politically motivated campaigners to present uh, tendentious views of British history as fact. Lord Roberts, the author and broadcaster, accused the BBC of pursuing a fatwa against Sir Winston Churchill. The dossier said documentaries on subjects including slavery, colonialism, and the Irish famine distort the truth about Britain's past through inaccuracy or omitting important facts. 
So we got to write, rewrite the history. Colonialism was bad. We need to get out of Africa. Okay, so it happened. And now look at what's happening. And then the green energy people, they feed this industry. Slavery. Modern day slavery. To the tune of tens of thousands of people suffering. So that we can drive around in an electric vehicle. And then the drain that that puts on the electrical grid. Not even discussed. Just go along with the fantasy. We have rewritten the history. We're, we're rewriting the modern history of what's actually happening in, happening in Africa. Fantasy versus reality. The Wall Street Journal has a pretty interesting article about not-so-fast electric cars. There was another story, by the way, that talked about how electric cars, the drain on the battery happens faster when there's a cold spell, when there's frigid temperatures. It says here, Toyota CEO, Akio Toyota, recently caused the climate lobby to blow a fuse by speaking a truth about battery electric vehicles that his fellow auto executives dare not. Just like the folly, uh, sorry, just like the fully aut autonomous cars that we were all supplied to be, supposed to be driving by now, Toyota said in Thailand, I think the BEVs, the electric vehicles, are just going to take longer to become mainstream than the media would like us to believe. He added that a silent majority in the auto industry share his view, but they think it's the trend, so they can't speak out loudly. You, you dare not speak out against green energy. <laughs> this is the trend, you see. This is the wave of the future. Just go with it. Never mind the problems that it presents. Never mind the slave industry that it fuels. Just go along. The journal says, but most state electrical grids aren't built to handle this many charging stations. Well, it talks about how they want charging stations, the Biden people, every 50 miles or so, even in rural areas. So you can have all these charging stations all over the country. And of course, if there's not enough electric vehicles to, to service them or vice versa, then, well, they're going to need maintenance. The article goes on. Just all of the, you know, the, the, logis the logistics of everything, whether or not it's doable, what, what kind of a drain it's going to put on the, the grid. You hear none of this from the people that are out there pushing this technology. It says charging stations in rural areas with little traffic are also unlikely to be profitable and could become stranded assets. As many states warn, New Mexico warns that poor station maintenance can lead to stations being perpetually broken and unusable, particularly in rural or hard-to-access locations. In other words, it's, a, it's pretty much a disaster in waiting. I mean, it's a disaster, and yet trillions, trillions of dollars and, and resources go toward this movement because, well, it's the trend. It's the trend, says the maker of Toyotas. And few others will, will speak out. There's a silent majority, he says. But you just have to go along. Who will stand up against this? All of this, this fantasy, this propaganda, the deception, the lies. Well, the few who do are immediately attacked and it's not enough to just beat them or to win the argument. They must be destroyed, as David Pluff tweeted out regarding Donald Trump. The Bible says there's no helper for Israel. 
there's an article from the, the Spectator uh, talking about conservatives uh, over there. It says, what else do the Tories have to show for their 12 years in power? They have presided over an increase in immigration. They've lost control of the UK's sea border to people traffickers. They've done little more than tut as progressives march through the few remaining institutions they hadn't already captured. They abandoned plans to decriminalize non-payment of the BBC license fee and have apparently done the same with proposals to privatize Channel 4. This is the UK version of what's happening here in the United States. You have weak conservatives that won't stand against this onslaught of deception and lies as these radical communists have just taken over every sector of society. And then they lie. They just lie. Colonialism, bad. Africa, modern-day Africa, good. They're, they're supplying goods for the world. Everybody's happy. It says here, the party could use its remaining 18 months to push a bold conservative agenda, but I wouldn't count on it. The people who run the conservative party don't like conservatives, and they don't like conservative conservatism. So it's the very same here in the United States, isn't it? Republicans in name only. Matt Gates has been one of the few congressmen to speak out against uh, uh, Kevin McCarthy being the new House Speaker. Listen to what he had to say earlier this week, clip two. I'm not voting for Kevin McCarthy for speaker because I think he's just a shill of the establishment. I think that Kevin McCarthy is little more than a vessel through which lobbyists and special interests operate. And the reason most of my Republican colleagues are supporting him is because they benefit from the redistribution of lobbyist and special interest money through McCarthy to their campaign account. They're all on the take, you see. The Uniparty. The Uniparty. And if anyone speaks out against it, they must be destroyed. Benjamin Netanyahu, I believe this is his first day in office, and AFP in France describes him as the leader of an extreme, an extreme party. He's, it's not even the far right anymore. It's the extreme right. Benjamin Netanyahu, this is, this is uh, from the Wall Street Journal. It says, Israel's president, who holds a ceremonial role, and typically refrains from speaking about specific policies, condemned uh, anti-gay views after Mr. Netanyahu's partners planned to include legislation in a coalition deal that would permit religious-based discrimination against LGBT people. In a rare move, the Army's chief of staff called Mr. Netanyahu on Monday to caution him uh, against legislation that would place some military branches under the direct control of one of his ultra-nationalist partners, so, so Benjamin Beebe is now an extremist. We've never seen a wave of legislation like this, said Amir Fuchs, a senior researcher at the Jerusalem-based Israel Democracy Institute, a think tank. He said the proposed changes are a critical blow to democracy. So, so what Netanyahu is planning to do, this is, here we, cue the footage. Cue the soundtrack of all of the talking heads, all of the communist politicians saying, if this doesn't go our way, then democracy dies. It's a death blow to democracy. When everything is rammed down our throats, then democracy is working. It's working just fine. When they, when they steal an election, it works perfect. When they lose or something doesn't go their way, this is what they cry, always, always. Another death blow to democracy. 
when we come back, we'll conclude, we'll conclude today's show with some posit- a positive look back on the work, God's work, this past year. You're listening to Stephen Flurry, and this is The Trumpet Daily. We'll be right back. The Trumpet Daily. One third of your Bible is prophecy, and 90% of it is for our time today. This is why when you study Bible prophecy, you often read statements like, in that day, in the last days, and at the time of the end. Biblical prophecy is what makes the Bible so relevant to today, so essential to understanding our modern world. Most people, even in the world of religion, assume that nations like Britain, America, Germany, Russia and China are not mentioned in Bible prophecy. But if prophecy is mainly for our time today, how could the Bible ignore some of the most powerful and prominent nations of today? The key to understanding prophecy is knowing the biblical identities of modern nations. Learn about these identities in Herbert W. Armstrong's book, The United States and Britain in Prophecy. In this book, you will learn about the astonishing identity of the American and British people in biblical prophecies. Request your free copy today, The United States and Britain in Prophecy. Trumpet Daily. One of our viewers reminded me of a, a statement my father made at the tail end of 2021. This went out in a coworker letter that he sent to many of our supporters. And my father said, No doubt 2022 will be the most important year in our history. Well, that calendar year is uh, now about over. And as you look back over the past year, it has been an eventful year for the work of God. It's sometimes easy to overlook that because it's so fast-paced, and of course there's so much happening in the world as you hear every day on this show in the first segment. But it's good at times to pause and to consider the past 12 months, the last year, the last few years. We put together a behind-the-work film a few months ago for our brethren around the world, Mr. Brad McDonald, was the one who gave the address, and he said in that video, this has been a year of awesome accomplishment for the work and and the family of God. It can be easy sometimes to take for granted what God is accomplishing through this small church. We produce four print magazines. We produce The Key of David, a fully put-together daily radio program. That would be this one. Thirteen different podcasts. We have an elementary school, a college, split across three campuses. We've got a couple of our students uh, in Jerusalem at the moment, and of course the Edstone campus, and then the headquarters campus here. It says this summer, uh, this church established an archaeological institute in Jerusalem. We had the grand opening back in uh, September. We live and work next door to the prime minister and the president of Israel, This summer, this little church printed America Under Attack, the only book on earth that explains what's happening in America and what's happening globally. 
in the midst of all that's described there in that quote that I just gave to you, we have the, the yearly activities like uh, AC graduation happens every May. Our academy, the high school, they have their graduation in uh, the, si the same time period. We've had, uh, I think, 11 more Celtic Throne shows added to the mix this past summer. And there's another tour, an even, an even bigger tour planned for next summer, and, and also uh, another show being planned that uh, kind of fits along the same lines. That's pretty amazing. Every summer, of course, we have our SEP program, the Summer Educational Program, and it seems like every year we're adding something new and different. We had the camp out down at the Wichita Mountains this year, together with the camp activities that went on for three weeks here at the headquarters campus. Right now we've got an SEP program going on in Australia. And because of the COVID and the lockdowns and the inability to travel, I don't think we've had a, a summer camp. It's summer down there at the moment, but I don't think we've had a summer camp there in three years. So that's pretty amazing. I, I mentioned there the, uh, the, op the grand opening of the Institute and, and how close we're, we're getting with some of the professors that are over there helping us out on the excavations. In fact, one of them visited us, Pro Professor Garfinkel. He was here back in, uh, in November. It's been a, a productive uh, year here on campus. We've, we've, uh, we've got a new building going up, the exercise gymnasium. And uh, again, hopefully people will exercise there and not, not want to be considered racist for doing so. But all kinds of Projects going on even during this, uh, this winter break, remodeling, upgrading some of the buildings. I mean, we've got the new one coming up for the PE program, but we've got uh, a lot of buildings on campus that have been uh, here for 15, 16, 17 years. And so we're making plans to put in new carpeting, repaint places, that, that sort of thing. There's just constant upgrades, improvements, and growth. Growth. Jesus said that when you judge anything, you need to look to the fruits. Look at the fruits. It's easy sometimes for a critic to come along. Maybe they don't like this particular teaching, or they don't like what we say about this particular prophecy, or they say, well, what you said hasn't, hasn't happened. You, you wish they would just step back for a moment and consider the work of God's church, what God's church is doing what it's producing, what it's producing in individual lives, in, in the collective lives of the body of Christ. Matthew 7, verse 16, it says, You shall know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes of thorns or figs of thistles? It says, Even so, every, every good tree brings forth good fruit, but a corrupt tree brings forth evil fruit. It's pretty basic. Jesus taught this, a good tree cannot bring forth evil fruit, neither can a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. It says, every tree that brings, that brings not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. Verse 20 concludes, wherefore, by their fruits you shall know them. You're going to know by the fruits. In the autobiography, you're familiar, most of you are, with the mustard seed beginning of the church uh, during Mr. Armstrong, Herbert Armstrong's ministry. He says, 
uh, in his autobiography, all this history in retrospect about the struggle to publish the plain truth will remind the reader once again that it has been a long, hard, and persevering upward struggle to bring God's work to its present position of worldwide activity, power, and influence. He was writing that, what, 30, 40 years on? And we could do the same. We have done the same, really. You can read Raising the Ruins. This church has been around for, for now 33 years, I think it is. So Raising the Ruins gives you some of that fascinating, exciting history. And certainly Mr. Armstrong's autobiography. You can see the, uh, the two books there on your screen. The 800 number, one 930 Our operators are standing by. A couple of email emails in response to the shows. It says, it might be too late for a clip request on the year-end TD, but if not, I would uh, like to request the clip of Anthony Fauci's humble admission that he would do nothing differently if given the opportunity to do it over. What a hero. <laughs> also, for what it's worth, my vote for the best addition to the TD set and optics in the 2022 is a no-brainer. Your beard. Wow. He's one of the few that love it. He has one too, by the way. I know this. I know this viewer. It says, thanks to you and the crew for another riveting year. You've all helped so many of us make sense of this upside-down world. It is, in fact, upside down, as I said at the start of today's show. Another one here says, thank you for your part in helping us make sense of the government's collusion with big tech and the source of this destructive alliance. All the files are dizzying, to say the least, but you are there to help steer us to the target. We watch intently with your help so we can pray even more diligently. May God's pure kingdom come soon. It says here, we wait in anticipation for the end of the year review and are praying for the team for a most impactful and perhaps even uh, a humorous montage. Well, you got some of that on today's show. You can go back and watch the start of today's show again, if you like. It says, thank you for the TD this year. There were moments where I would be laughing so hard and also shaking my head. So make sure you tune in. Tomorrow is the end of the year mega montage day. You're listening to Stephen Flurry, and this is the Trumpet Daily. We appreciate you joining us on today's show, and we will see you tomorrow.